Welcome back to the Jim Harrison Show. Shane Woodford here filling in as guest host while Jim is on vacation. Uh, a lot of political sort of spotlight uh, right now on Victoria, specifically on uh, the Premier John Horgan and Andrew Weaver, leader of the Green Party. Uh, Mr. Weaver has drawn a line in the sand over the NDP's LNG plans threatening to pull down government. So much so, the two had a phone conversation last night, or planned to, to try and smooth some troubled waters. Pleasure to be joined on the phone now by BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of this thing, I'm just kind of curious because uh, I know you were watching last night. Uh, what was your assessment of the BC Liberals' leadership debate? Uh, I was, yeah, well, I watched and I thought there's a party in strife and turmoil. It was, it was quite, um, you know, it, 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 gloves came off. Uh, there was not a lot of love lost between a number of the people there. I was quite surprised, actually, at the divisiveness of it. And uh, there's clearly going to be a lot of uh, bridge mending and, and fence building uh, after this is all said and done, because there's some real hostility there, which is most unfortunate. Yeah, I felt people um, were, were uh, honestly, I thought they were quite rude at times to um, Diane, uh, the, uh, Diane um, from Surrey. I thought she was treated a little bit inappropriately. Uh, I thought that uh, Mr. Wilkinson and Mr. Lee got into some fisticuffs there, uh, with not I mean, figuratively, not literally. And uh, but you know it's it's their party. They have to. They're the ones going through the leadership race. Um, they've got a lot of work to do to build, uh, build, you know, build themselves to, together again. Uh, I, I was wondering if you if you if you noticed uh, sort of a, an absence of. I mean, and the environment was mentioned a couple of times, but there was really a, a complete absence of discussion around really the environment and nothing on GHG emissions. Well, well, exactly. It was it was completely absent. What what's interesting is it seems that you know the the theme was you know the one thing they could rally about is we must defeat proportional representation, and that seemed to be the the overarching narrative. That and when you ask them when you get to it is why it's because we need a majority government. Like there's no arguments as to why. It's all because uh, their coalition of the conservatives and 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 uh, some you know former BC liberals, uh, Socrates and conservatives and some federal liberals that is uh, might not work so well if there's a uh, a proportional representation what they do say which is which is completely misleading is that it would hurt r- rural bc and it would be frankly exactly the opposite and i like to look at the example of the okanagan where right now every seat in the okanagan is liberal and they're all sitting in opposition there's no government representation by bc liberal in in the okanagan uh, last time uh, there was no opposition representation in the okanagan a, a form of proportional representation would ensure that a region like the Okanagan and the nine seats in that area would have a number in government and a number in opposition, so, which is important and healthy so that you get a diversity of views, not collective groupthink that uh, um, support everyone in the riding, not just that 25% of people who actually showed up to vote for your party. All right. We'll circle back to proportional representation in a minute, but I do want to ask you, uh, because I think everybody wants to know, uh, you, of course, with the line in the sand on LNG, you're threatening to pull down the government over this thing. It's dominated headlines over the last week. Uh, my understanding is you had a phone call with the Premier last night to try and find some common ground. So, uh, A, did that call happen? And B, if it did, uh, what occurred in that call as far as assurances to you? Oh, well, it did happen, and it was actually uh, very cordial. I, I, I have a good working relationship with the Premier. I, I quite like John, and I, I hope it's mutual, but I, I do like him. We, obviously, we have differences of opinion on, on various policy measures. We, 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 we've talked about what he's been doing there a little bit, and we've talked about uh, the importance of clean tech. We talked about the announcement yesterday here in Victoria about uh, $750,000 coming from Western Economic Development uh, into a, a foundation, a tech foundation here, uh, supported with the province's additional money. We talked about 
the incredible opportunities that are going to emerge from the Innovation Commission. Uh, and so, uh, but we, we felt we, you know, it's important that we meet face to face. So I'm looking forward to meeting with him face to face as soon as he gets back to, uh, to, to, to outline in more detail some of the rationale as to where we're coming from. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, don't understand why, uh, why would I say this is a line in the sand? And I, I'd like to be able to be quite clear about this is the problem we have here is we have a commitment in our confidence and supply agreement to ha- have development of a climate plan to meet our legislated targets. So the targets are going to be a 40% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 2030 and at 80% by 2050. Well, I can say right now, BC is emitting 64 megatons of carbon dioxide per year, or carbon dioxide equivalent per year. Uh, we know that a 80% reduction by 2050 means we have to be at 12.8 megatons per year. Well, one LNG plant, one big one, not the small ones, we're not talking about that, one big, the size of LNG Canada or Petronas, would add 10 megatons a year. So of that 12.8, a fully 10 would have to be from one LNG plant. So what that says then is, Every other aspect of the BC economy would have to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 96% if we were to have one major LNG facility. Uh, it's, uh, that means we'd have to shut down Rio Tinto, Alcan, and Kitimat. We'd have to eliminate the ability of all houses to heat their homes with natural gas. Nobody could drive a gas or diesel-powered car. We'd have to uh, you know, shut down all landfills. That's unrealistic. So the point I'm trying to make here is we are at a critical juncture in human history. We cannot continue to, you know, pretend that somehow we can have our cake and eat it too. I'm happy, you know, if, if we have a rational discussion and people decide we don't, you know, we're not going to deal with this climate problem. But as I said when I've taught for decades at university, the whole question of global warming is a question of intergenerational equity. Do we, the present generation, owe anything to future generations in terms of the quality of the environment we leave behind? And if the answer is yes, then we must act now because delaying is too late. And the analogy is direct to putting a pot of water on the stove. As the water warms on the stove, it warms and warms, and if it gets too hot and you suddenly say, oh, it's too hot now, you want to turn the dial down, well, it's too late because... There's a thermal inertia in the water. The water takes time to cool. And in the climate system, the analogy is direct because the water is the oceans. So this is why we know the consequences of what will happen based on the decisions we make today. And we know that the world has warmed by 1.1 degrees. And we know that we have another 0.6 degrees warming in the cards as we, if we just keep levels of greenhouse gases the same as now, which is 1.7 degrees. And we know we have another 0.2 degrees or so uh, from the permafrost carbon feedback, and that's 1.9 degrees. But Paris says we're going to keep it below 2 degrees. So basically, the, what Paris has said is that there can be no new investment in fossil fuel infrastructure that is going to be around for 50 years or so, and that we must immediately start transitioning to clean energy systems. And so it is incompatible with expanding an LNG industry in British Columbia and meeting climate targets. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And for us, in our confidence and supply agreement, it's very clear that we were to develop a climate strategy to meet our greenhouse gas targets. All right. Uh, so I know you guys are going to meet face-to-face. In your mind, Andrew, is there a calming of the waters between the two of you, or are you still very much, okay, I might have to pull down government here? You know, what, what I've, nobody, we, we don't want that. NDP doesn't want that. 
the problem I've had, and, and th- this is an issue that I've been dealing with in terms of science communication for, for in, in my former job as, a, as a, le- a teacher, is that a lot of people simply don't understand what Paris means. Mr. Trudeau clearly doesn't un- understand what Paris means. Mr. Trudeau seems to think we can triple the expansion of oil extraction from the oil sense. We can't. So, or, uh, what, what Paris agreement means, what it means is that we continue to use our natural resources today and position ourselves to f- tomorrow by taking advantage of those resources. It does not mean we, we ramp up the actual extraction and use of those resources in traditional combustion ways. That is the difference here. It's not, nobody's talking about shutting down natural gas. Nobody's talking about shutting down the oil sands. What we're saying is it is reckless to continue to ramp up extraction and export uh, because that is inconsistent what Canada, what British Columbia, and frankly, almost all the world's nations have agreed to. So, so I, I think, you know, part of my challenge is to, is to, is to bring the science to the decision makers because that's my background and, and you know, and to, 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 to essentially point out the facts. And I think the facts are compelling. And so I'm pretty sure Mr. Horgan will see those facts and realize, um, you know, what we've committed to. All right. So you've essentially, I'm sort of reading between the lines here, it's kind of a a pause. You're not kind of climbing down from, say, DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 2 on this thing. What, is, what I've always said, Shane, is it is important for us in the minority government to give the market certainty one way or the other. This is why we signaled to the market uh, when, before the Site C decision that the government would not fall over a Site C decision. We signaled to the market uh, again that uh, going into a direction of LNG is something that government would fall over. So the, this is our, it's not, these aren't idle threats. For us, you know, it, 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 again, we've signaled that to, 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 to the market that we very much expect to see affordability uh, measures taken into account in this upcoming budgets. But we, and we will work to ensure that they're as tough as they can, but we are not going to have the government fall if there's one aspect of what we want not included in it. And so that, that to me, um, is important. It's, and I think it's, it's critical that we do that role. So some people interpret it as a veil threat. What we're trying to do is we're trying to signal to the market what we support and what we can't support in very broad terms so that government can operate in a manner knowing certainty and investors can operate in a manner knowing certainty too. All right. Uh, quick uh, topic shift here, Andrew. The NEB hearings underway, uh, focusing on the route uh, through Burnaby Lower Mainland. Uh, I know that that's an issue close to your heart. What are you sort of gleaning from from what's going on there? Uh, I mean, I just have so much time for the people who are intervening there. The you know the the city of Burnaby doing a phenomenal job. So we'll, I'll echo Quitlam as well. I'll I'll, I'll I'll I'm on the sidelines on this, uh, completely supporting their efforts. I, I I am troubled by the fact that uh, there has been recent ruling to expedite permit, uh, permitting issues, uh, and I think that uh, we really need to revamp the entire NEB process. Um, but again, I think the, the the people of Burnaby are being very well represented. People of Coquitlam, very well represented by their by their lawyers uh, in this in this situation. All right. Uh, the still with the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, the court processes where the Horgan government's looking to stop it. Uh, I haven't heard any updates recently on that. But are you still confident that that pipeline can be stopped? Because it seems to be creeping forward still. 
I, I'm in the same, um, same position you are, as everyone's waiting for court decisions. And uh, I think the, the case brought by the province was very compelling. Uh, you know, I, I keep... <laughs> the, the, the process was completely flawed, and, and, I, and, and British Columbia's interests were certainly not looked after. Again, yeah, I, I, could, I could outline so many examples of this, but uh, I, I won't bore your listeners, but, but I, I, I couldn't fathom a decision that would not uh, recognize the, the inappropriate uh, nature of the kind of uh, assessment of the evidence that was brought to the NEB. All right, perfect. We're out of time, but Andrew, always appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Thanks so much. That was Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. We'll take a quick break here on the Jim Harrison Show on Radio NL. On the other side, we'll get the lowdown on future plans for the downtown library about to undergo a major renovation. More on NL after this.